This episode is brought to you by Chalk Cartel, my favorite chalk brand. Here's the deal. Chalk matters, and you owe it to yourself to get the good stuff. Luckily, with Chalk Cartel, you can get the highest quality, high-content magnesium carbonate on the market without breaking the bank. No fillers, no impurities, and no bogus proprietary claims. This stuff has been independently tested in the lab side-by-side, other top brands, and it's the same, or even better. They also use eco-friendly packaging because they care about the environment, so buying from Chalk Cartel is a win-win. If you need a fix, head over to chalkcartel.com and enter code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off your next purchase of pure, uncut, high-performance climbing chalk. That's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET for 20% off your next purchase. Chalk Cartel, you're either for us or we're against you. This episode is also brought to you by Fizzy Vantage, now the official climbing nutrition sponsor of the Nugget Climbing Podcast. Fizzy Vantage is the leading brand in climbing nutrition. And just to name a few names, their pro athlete team includes Matt Foltz, Paige Klassen, Drew Ruana, Jonathan Segrist, Natalia Grossman, Melina Costanza, Brittany Gorris, Jordan Cannon, Katie Lambert, Jimmy Webb, and Daniel Woods. The list goes on and on. Basically, the who's who of high-performance rock climbing. They're all using Fizzy Vantage products. I personally love the supercharged collagen. I am obsessed with getting stronger fingers, and I want to make sure I'm giving my body all of the building blocks it needs to make stronger tendons. If you would like to feel the Fizzy Vantage yourself, head over to fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% off any full-priced nutrition product. That's fizzyvantage.com and use code NUGGET15 at checkout to save 15% on your next order. Hello, friends. Welcome to the Nugget Climbing Podcast. This is your host, Stephen Dimmitt. And my guest today is Maddie Hong. Maddie is a professional rock climber, photographer, and filmmaker. One of my favorite photographers and filmmakers in the climbing space. And he's a badass. This was a really fun conversation. We talked a lot about the route Flex Luther. That's a route that Tommy Caldwell put up in 2003 at the Fortress of Solitude in Colorado, near Rifle. Considered the first 515 in America, so tons of history with this route. And Maddie was the first person to repeat the route after Tommy, almost 20 years later, and it was really fun to hear about it. So we talked about the history of the route, how Maddie became interested in projecting it. He talked about his projecting process. It was quite a journey for him. And we talked about how he trained for it. He actually trained for this route on his home wall, on a bouldering wall in his house. And he's only been to a gym a few times during all of COVID. So really interesting to hear how someone at his caliber trains for 515B climbing on a home bouldering wall. I definitely have some exercises and takeaways that I wanna try from this conversation. And we talked about a lot more. We talked about growing up in a climbing family. Maddie's parents both climb really hard, and he's been immersed in climbing his whole life. So interesting to hear about that. We talked about 
a North Face expedition to Japan that he did climbing waterfalls. That was totally unexpected for me in this conversation and fascinating to hear about that. And of course, we talked about his photography and filmmaking, some of his proudest photos and films, and how he balances those things with climbing. So yeah, all in all, a lot of good nuggets in this conversation. I really enjoyed talking to Maddie. As you'll hear from this conversation, he's a really thoughtful guy and just had some really great insights to share with all of us. I want to give another patron shout out today, this time for Jeremiah Johnson. Jeremiah signed up for the $30 tier. If you guys don't know, I have a $30 and $50 tier for any of you who want to go above and beyond to support the podcast while also supporting Sacred Rock and Climbing for Change. So Jeremiah Johnson just signed up as a $30 patron and is supporting The Nugget and those two other organizations for $10 each per month. So a huge thank you, Jeremiah. It really means a lot. It's a huge help. And thank you, of course, to all of my patrons who support the show. If you are loving the show and you want to learn more and help out, you can learn more at thenuggetclimbing.com. Just click on the support the podcast button at the top of the page, and that'll tell you everything you need to know about Patreon and other ways that you can help out. Thank you all for tuning into another episode. And without further ado, please enjoy Maddie Hong. Maddie, it's great to see you, man. Thanks for being here. Yeah, thanks for having me. Sorry, I've uh, I've been putting you on hold for such a so long. <laughs> I know we we first talked about this like about a year ago, like when I first started trying flex, and I was like, let's let's just wait, and maybe I'll send the room, and then we can chat. <laughs> yeah. And you did, and here we are. Yeah, it's nice to nice to make this happen yeah it is it is and it's uh no problem at all i know how it goes um there's been a couple people that i've you know just had to keep checking in with and (laughs) dave mcleod was one i think i first connected with him like in august last year and we didn't record anything until the following january or february Uh, (laughs) it's like nope still super busy still super busy let's try (laughs) next month next month you know but that's okay well this was great i actually listened to his recently oh nice really i really enjoyed that one thanks yeah you've been you've been doing a great job here thank you i appreciate that yeah appreciate how many episodes have you done now uh talking to you now so you and i are talking on christmas eve um merry christmas i've published 99 Wow. Yeah. In how long? In less than two years. So it'll be two years in February of 2022. Thanks, man. Yeah. It's been so much fun, man. Well, I've listened to a, I've listened to a good amount of those. Like, I haven't listened but I'm get I'm getting through them. <laughs> awesome. I'm curious, when do you listen to podcasts? Um, I listen to them if I if I'm in the car, obviously, like I listen to a lot driving up to the fortress. Yeah. <laughs> and um, I listen to them in the mornings, you know, if I'm just doing some work on my computer, whether that's, you know, just editing photos or what, whatever I can. Like, I like, I like it as some background noise. Totally. Yeah. So I, the podcast, I, I think have been great, especially in the last couple of years. I've gotten really into them. 
I've been curious about this, actually, because it's still strange to me to think that someone like you would be listening to The Nugget because you're such a good climber. Do you get, like, training ideas or performance ideas out of that? Or is it just the entertainment factor or just getting to know these different characters? Uh, I think it's mostly just to get to know these people. Like, yeah. there's so many climbers and, and just other people out there that are so interesting and have these great stories to tell that it's just, you know, it's insightful for me to just hear what they have to say and like hear these conversations. It's interesting. And, you know, I'm, I'm certainly not looking for training tips or anything. I think <laughs> you're set, <laughs> you know, not that I can't get that. Like, I know like Hazel's had some great like mental tips in there, you know, I'm, I'm definitely learning from these, but I just, I just like the conversations mostly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's it's interesting. I want to start by digging a little bit into your childhood and asking you about your mom and dad. And I was thinking about this, knowing that I was going to be talking with you, just kind of thinking through all these conversations I've had. And I can't really think of anyone else. There's There's got to be somebody, but very few people who I've talked to on the show who climb at a really high level have the mom and dad who are such good climbers themselves and diehard climbers themselves and, and were, you know, brought up in this climbing family the way that you were. And, um, you know, I've traveled to, I've climbed in Rifle quite a bit now and Steve Hong, like you hear that name like echoing through the canyon when you, when you start talking to people about these routes, like, oh yeah, that's a Steve Hong route and like Steve and Maddie bolted that together and things like that. And I would just love to hear... First off, um, about your mom and dad. Can you tell me about your mom and dad? And we can yeah, we can add yeah. to it from there. Uh, I mean, just just to start, like my parents have definitely been a major major player in my life as a rock climber since my childhood, uh, and especially in places like Rifle. You know, it's it's kind of this area that I grew up in and started playing in the dirt. You know, they used to lock my brother and I in their truck while they were climbing and just like cracked the windows for us. And then <laughs> we kind of graduated to swinging on the ropes there and eventually like my first lead. And then, um, you know, pretty much my first of every grade through my teens happened in rifle. Um, but my parents were completely just instrumental in, in me becoming a climber and the fact that they, took me on trips when I was younger. You know, I don't think a lot of kids especially had that opportunity growing up is to go to places like outdoor climbing locations or to go on like, you know, for spring break, let's go to the red or, you know, for in the summer, let's go, let's go travel to Europe or something like that. Like those opportunities at a young age really connected me with the outdoors and connected me with the sport i think and in, mm. in a very like i don't know just a very strong way and um you know i think a lot of those those experiences i had with them have stuck with me and a lot of those just like the mentality that they have as climbers and their approach to climbers has passed on to me um so you know they they it's it's been an incredible having climber parents for so many reasons to to just having them understand what i do mm. <laughs> you know and to be able to connect with them and talk about you know i can talk talk to my parents about beta i can tell them about <laughs> holds i can tell them you know where i'm falling on something and they can respond and give me like some some insight and 
you know, it's, it's great to have that connection, but also just, you know, uh, my dad still climbs four days a week, I'd say. And my mom's not climbing quite as much anymore, but she does go to the gym and now she rides her, her bike, like a maniac. She does <laughs> these hundred mile races all the time. Oh, wow. But you know, it's, it's great. Like the, the connection I have with my parents through climbing is, is really strong. And my dad and I built a, a home wall in his house like two years ago at the start of COVID. And We've basically been training together on that since then. Uh, I've gone to the gym, I think, less than 10 times. Um, so, you know, it's it's this connection that we have and that we'll continue to have, which uh, for me is is really motivating. And it's just encouraging to know that, you know, like I can see my parents, how long they enjoyed the sport and their just their longevity with the sport is, is really inspiring. And uh, I hope that I can... I can be that passionate about climbing still in another 20, 30 years. (laughs) Yeah, that's amazing to hear all of that. And it's Steve and Karen, right? Yeah, yeah. Steve, yep. Yeah. What comes to mind when you think of like what you've you've seen watching your mom and dad, what you've learned from them? What are those key elements that you try to keep in mind as far as like how they have continued to be in love with the sport and be passionate about the sport? Is there anything specific that you can kind of put your finger on? Yeah, I, I, I mean, I think the first thing that just comes to my mind right away is just trying to remain humble through the process of being a rock climber. And, you know, I've gone from being a little kid who's learning how to climb to being like a competition climber to being mainly focused on outdoor stuff and now trying to be a professional rock climber. You know, like I've definitely like gone through these swings of what climbing has meant to me and and where my motivation is. And I think my parents have always instilled the idea that if my ego is going to get in the way of, of what I'm doing, then that's going to cause problems for me down the road. And that's going to just create these barriers or just these uh, negative, just negative energy towards my climbing. And, and, you know, I think they've always... I mean, it's pretty comical to a point where like I can climb a route and I'll text my dad, you know, I just sent, I just sent Flex Luther or something like that. And he'll respond like about time, you know, (laughs) you know, it's like, it's like, it's just kind of like this. It's, I don't know. We've kind of made humor out of just, just kind of burning each other and keeping (laughs) each other in line and making sure that, you know, our egos are in check and I do the same with him and my mom. And it's, it's, it's just, you know, it's refreshing to just be kind of (laughs) grounded or try to be grounded. You know, I think sometimes you got to get slapped in the face to realize that, you know, what are you doing and what are you talking about right now or something Mm. like that. So, Yeah. Give me some of the um, the milestones, the ages, you know, graduating from being locked in the car with the windows cracked to playing in the dirt to finally tying in and maybe top roping first and then leading. How old were you at each of those stages roughly? Do you remember when you first started rock climbing? Yeah, I, I started climbing. I mean, I think I was on a climbing team in elementary school. I was on like the cats climbing team with Peter Beal and Kaylin. Uh, his wife. And I think I was like 11 to 
12 years old when I really started like taking climbing a bit more seriously. You know, I was going in for, for team practice and I was starting to like have projects and, and those kinds of things. And uh, once I kind of started climbing more in rifle, I think, I think I did my first 13 a lead of which was Pumperama um, when I was 13, I think. And then um, when I was 14, I did living in fear in rifle. Oh, wow. Um, and that actually, that was like kind of a bigger milestone in my climbing. Cause that was when I was like, I had just quit playing soccer. I had just kind of stopped doing these other activities. And I, I started really focusing on climbing at that point. Um, and I remember just trying that route for the first time and, and not doing a single move on it. And then having this process within a few tries of just like making these big connections and then finally sending the route. And like all these people in rifle were like, that's so great. Like I was getting all this encouragement and it, mm. it felt really like my confidence was growing quite a bit, you know? And I think at that point I kind of had a shift and like, all right, let's, let's keep this momentum. Let's try to like take this seriously and, and, you know, keep, try to climb harder routes and, and, you know, see where this goes. And I think, you know, it was the next year when I did my first 14A when I was 15. And then uh, I think when I was 17 or 18, I did a four, my first 14D, wow. my first 14C. And then I did Bad Girls Club, which I graded 14D after like a couple of years after that when I was like 19 or 20. I, you know, I, I, I don't really remember. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's, it's crazy how many of these, these milestones have happened for me in rifle. Uh, mm. I think that just speaks to how much that area has influenced me as a climber. And, and, you know, it's really been the reason, like, I, I wonder if, if that climbing area wasn't so close to my home, like, would I be a pro climber right now? Would I be, you know, going down this road or, or would, you know, it's like, it's kind of lucky <laughs> to, to a certain extent. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating to think on all those puzzle pieces that just happen to, to be in place to set you on any path you know, and whatever path you end up on as an adult looking back, did you always love yeah. it? Did you always love climbing or was it always interesting to you or did you have to kind of grow your own unique love for it as you grew up as a kid? Um, I, I always loved it. I really did. I, I think when I was younger, you know, I, I played other, like I played soccer and I was playing a lot of the piano. I was doing, um, just these other activities and I wasn't fully invested in the climbing. But once I, you know, as I was saying, once I kind of fell into the sport and these other passions of mine kind of faded away a little bit, I just became really just obsessed with climbing and, you know, I, I was looked forward to it every day after school and I look forward to the weekends getting out with my parents and, you know, I've, I've definitely fallen in and out of certain love for the sport when it comes to projecting something or when it comes to competitions or, or, you know, certain nuances like training and stuff like that. Um, my motivation shifts, but I, I love climbing. I love how, how much variety you can find in the sport and how many different types of challenges you can find. Um, and just, you know, I love the fact that I can go 
on an expedition, I can go big wall climbing and just get scared or, or really push myself in these different areas. And then I can go bouldering trip or sport climbing trip. And, you know, I'm just a performance-based climber all of a sudden. And, you know, I'm really thinking about the physical and the mental aspects of it. Um, so I just love, I love the various challenges. And, you know, I think that's something that is so unique and special about climbing and something that is a reason why people climb well into their sixties and seventies. And, you know, I, that's, that's certainly something that I, uh, want to continue to do is just keep climbing and keep, you know, exploring the sport more. I've always wondered this with someone like you, who's just been in it. Like you, you were handed climbing by your parents. You grew up in it. You fell in love with it yourself. As you entered adulthood or even before that, like, have you had moments where you looked out at the, the wide world and thought to yourself, like, okay, what else is out there? Like, what am I missing out on? Do I want to just keep doing this thing forever or do I want to try new things? Like, have, have you had any moments like that or chapters in your life where you explored totally different paths outside of climbing? Um, that's a good question. I think... I think it's it's hard when you commit so much of yourself to one thing. I think it's probably hard for anything for anyone. Um, just you know, once you have given so much of your life to something, like you're always going to wonder about like, did I make the right decision, or is this um, is this the best value that I can be doing for myself, or for whatever reasons, you know? And I think it's, you know, I've, I've definitely like had those questions and I've wondered is climbing my path? Like, do I want to do this? But I've just, I always just quickly remember how, how grateful I am to have climbing and how much opportunity ha climbing has given me and, um, just how much enjoyment and just like these amazing experiences that I've gotten from climbing that I, I can't have any doubt that I am doing the wrong thing, you know, because it's just made me such a, like, it's just given me so much. So I don't, I don't look at it like that, but you know, I, I always wonder, like, I think especially when you get into like this projecting mindset, you're like, man, like I'm committing 90% of my mental thought into this climb. I'm training all day long for this route, I go out and try the climb and it's just like, what am I doing? You know, it's like, I'm not doing anything else right now. <laughs> I'm like, so I think certain moments in climbing, you're like, geez, man, like this is just taking up everything right now. And I hope it's worth it. <laughs> you know? But that's just like these small, these small periods of time within a much bigger picture. And, um, and you know, it's all part of the story. It's all part of the whole process that we have as climbers and you know i think you you have these moments of doubt that come and go but you just you know your the passion and and just like these old memories and and just like the motivation for goals and and these other experiences is the driving force <laughs> mm -hmm. you know um but I, I also think like climbing is such a great sport in, in the sense that like you are, you can pursue other things. You know, I, I, it's not that I haven't pursued other things. I, I have a lot of other things that I'm interested in and, and, you know, photography and filmmaking certainly 
has been one of those for the last five years or more. Um, and you know, that is something that I feel like a total beginner in, in mm. a sense. And, you know, I feel like it's a completely different challenge as well. And, and it's something that I can easily, well, sometimes easily, but it's something that I can, you know, do at the same time. And it's something that pairs really well with climbing and these, these trips or, or whatnot. So, you know, I, I, I definitely have motivations outside of climbing that kind of keep me going and they probably keep me fresh for my climbing projects as well. So yeah, I, a little bit of both. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. It really helps to have something that balances uh, that singular focus of climbing, doesn't it? I think so. I, I, I don't think, uh, you know, just coming off of like trying Flex Luther and climbing Flex Luther, which took pretty much an entire year. I don't think I could dive right back into another project like that. Like there's no way like mentally I could just like do that. And I think having these film projects that I'm working on or just having these other motivations outside of climbing is a great way for me to just like kind of recenter myself and find these new motivations basically <laughs> and just wait for the wait for the psych to come and wait for that to just come naturally you know rather than constantly being like okay what's next what's next or like back to the training program like that's not that's not really my my approach that's interesting. I want to, let's press pause on the photography and videography. I have some questions for you and I want to circle back to that, but let's, um, let's dive deeper into Flex Luther. And I'd love to hear how that challenge arose or, or how that goal arose for you. If it came about organically, it's, you know, it's obviously, um, I actually, we should probably start by having you just describe the route and the history and, um, and what it is, but having grown up as a rifle climber and gone through the, very obvious progression of the roots in the canyon and having done almost all of them, you know, kryptonite and then flex Luther are really obvious next steps. But yeah, I'd love to hear first off, what is flex Luther? Tell us, uh, give us a little context about the route. Yeah. Flex Luther is a sport climb at, in Colorado at the fortress of solitude, which is this massive limestone cave just outside a rifle. Um, it's about 30 minutes from rifle. So not that far, but sees about 2% of the traffic that rifle sees. Um, it was put up by Tommy Codwell in 2003. I think he was like 23 years old at the time. It was bolted by Nick Sagar, who was climbing a lot with Tommy at the time. And, um, I, I'm pretty sure Tommy did kryptonite in 2001 and graded that 14C. And then two years later, he basically moved over to Flex Luther after some sending kryptonite and cut off his finger in between then also. And then basically committed six months or so. I think him and Beth Rotten just basically posted up in the parking lot um, <laughs> and he tried the route <laughs> and he sent it and called it 14D. Oh, wow. Um, and I think, you know, I think number one, Tommy just is a sandbagger. Most of his roots and rifle have <laughs> been upgraded. Uh, most of his 14Bs that he put up have now been called 14C. And, um, and kryptonite has been upgraded. And 
you know, I think, I think just the nature of grades and climbing back then, it was a little more strict and a little, you know, more, uh, these, these higher numbers were still out of reach. And that was the mindset of a lot of the climbers. Um, I think Chris had done 15A and Tommy's mindset was, Chris is stronger than me, so I'm just going to say 14D or something like that, mm. you know, like, mm-hmm. even though, you know, he he was certainly capable of climbing, you know, th- those grades. Um, but, yeah, so it's not too long of a route. It's about 30 meters, 35 meters, maybe. Uh, but it's, it's that's really... That's a pretty good... That, I mean, that's like 100 feet, 110 feet or something? Yeah, that's a yeah, full it's, pitch. It's right around then. Um, I guess in the, in the sense of the cliff that you're climbing on, it looks, it's like small because you climb halfway up the wall. Um, the route ends as you climb into like this little teardrop feature where there's like a bird's nest and you can basically just take your hands off. So an obvious ending position. Um, and you know, the, the meat of the route is, is very physical and, endurance based climbing it's very resistant very resistant and uh has a lot of just hard moves <laughs> that just don't really let up it has a, a really hard boulder down low which was the main crux for me that took me you know ages to get through and once i finally made it through that lower boulder problem i i was like okay now now it's possible now i can see myself doing that route but that took me quite a long time and once you get through the lower half of the route, um, it, it's really just comes down to endurance. There's, uh, boulder problems separated by these small rests and, and the very last move is just like this heartbreaking move that I fell on three times. And, you know, I think when I climbed the route, it took me just over 20 minutes from start to, to finish. So it's this big endeavor when you pull off the ground yeah. uh, and likely, you know, it's just, uh, if you're giving red points, it's one one try, one good try a day. Oh um, wow! Yeah, uh, but I mean, I I can just go on and on about this. <laughs> ask some questions. <laughs> well, it's it's fun to hear you talk about it um, for people listening. And you mentioned this already, but um, I met you for the first time up there, and this was around this time last year. I guess it was probably October of 2020. And I was climbing with Ethan Pringle and he was supposed to meet you up there. And so you and I got to meet, you were working on the route. I'd heard so much about kryptonite. And of course, Flex Luther had this mythology around it, put up by Tommy in 2003, it hadn't been repeated yet. And by that time, because kryptonite was upgraded and because no one had been able to repeat Flex Luther, it was widely considered the first 515 in the country. And um, it seems like it it was. Um, but it was just fun to watch you on it that day and just did I do anything? <laughs> well you you were just learning <laughs> I was just it. Grabbing but grabbing jaws, yeah. <laughs> well, honestly, it was um it was kind of funny because I was up there with Ethan and you and John Cardwell and Simon. So it was a stacked group of people and then me. I was just hanging out. And uh watching you guys climb, John was trying his own project. Ethan and Simon were trying kryptonite. I actually remember having this moment of like, oh, it's the exact same process as what I do. It's just like two number grades harder. <laughs> but you guys were just dogging and trying moves and working out sections and, and figuring out beta. But yeah. the, the process never changes. 
Well, that's what's that's what's so interesting. So I'd love to hear from your perspective. Where were you in the process when we first met up there? I think that was early in the process. It was, you know, probably one of my first few tries on the route. And I was pretty much just trying to like get the moves figured out. And and it took me, you know, probably like five or six days to even do all the moves to figure out the sequence. So, um, you know, I think when I, when I was up there with you guys, I think I was still pulling through the bottom of the, of the climb and cause I didn't understand the, how to do it. And I was just working on the upper half, which is much more straightforward. And, um, you know, it really took a lot of cleaning when I first tried it. So, so mm-hmm. I, I was going up there, um, with Margot because she was, she was working kryptonite for a few days <laughs> pretty much. But <laughs> in that, in that time, uh, you know, I, I had already done that route. So I kind of was invited to try Flex Luther. It just made sense. It was like, Oh, well now's the perfect time to, to try something new and Flex Luther. I, I had just heard stories about it at the time of being chossy or being impossible because holds had broken off. Um, so I, I really was just going up up it to check it out to see you know wh- what the sequences looked like, and um, I think I got hooked pretty quickly into the route. And when I saw you up there, you know, I was a couple of days in, and I was just working on the sequences and breaking off quite a quite a lot of rock myself, which was discouraging, and it kind of reinforced the idea in my head at the beginning of like this route is, is chossed or like the rock's just going to keep breaking. It's never going to be in it's in like a, a solid form. Um, so, you know, I think my first tries up there, I was like, didn't really think of it as something that I was going to be just committing the next year or two. <laughs> I was climbing on it because Margo was up there and, you know, I was making little progress, but it wasn't enough to, to, be like, this is my new project at the point. Um, but you know, I think we kept going up and it, it really only took a few more tries to, to figure out the crux and to be like, okay, now I've done all the moves and this route is possible. And at that point, you know, just like any other climber would be, you become kind of captivated by the climb. And I started dragging Margot up there, uh, <laughs> more than she wanted to, <laughs> And, um, just really slowly, uh, just working the climb and making bigger sections and, um, trying to like fathom climbing the route. And I, and I mm-hmm. really didn't, uh, have that, that experience until probably a month or so into trying to climb where I had done it maybe in three hangs. And I was like, I can do this climb. Like, mm. that's all I need to know as a sport climber. I know like I've done the necessary steps to now begin the red point process. Um, and I had a breakthrough like that. And it was pretty quickly after that where I, I sprained my ankle really badly and I couldn't, oh. uh, I couldn't do the hike up there anymore. So the season kind of ended um, with having just my eyes open to the route and then being like, okay, let's just sit on that and we'll go back in the spring and refresh things. And, you know, the spring process was exciting because I was, 
you know, I felt like I could train for the route during the winter. I, I really tried to focus on training specifically for flex. And I didn't really try that much else outdoors um, because I was really trying to focus on this climb. And at that point, that was when Carlo reached out to me and, and was like, hey, I'd love to come out and climb with you in the spring. And um, so I ended up meeting him out there a couple, I want to say a couple weeks into his into his stay. And um, at that point, when I got back to the route, it was, you know, Carlo had put his time into it and it kind of became a new, a new route. You know, I was looking at it from a completely different perspective. I had thought of it as a certain way with the beta that I was using and everything all winter. And Carlo came in with new beta. He, he cleaned a hold that had a bunch of mud and dirt in it and it created a totally new hold in the crux. Um, so it really changed a lot of, uh, things <laughs> and, um, and it was kind of like a new process all of a sudden, it, you know, it, it really did feel like, bolting a root and cleaning it for the first time you know like huh. you you bolt it and you clean it and you have an idea of the sequence in your head um as you're cleaning the root and then you know your buddy goes up it and doesn't use any of the holds that you ticked and you're just like oh okay like i was just looking at it one way um and now you know it like i it just shows like how much a different perspective can can give to a certain thing to a certain climb or or whatever it is um and, you know, I'm, I'm, I think it's great that, that Carla was up there. Cause you know, I would have <laughs> hated to have climbed it, climbed it one way. And then he comes and finds like much superior beta in certain sections. And, you know, I, I think it's important to, to have people to share beta with and work on the roots with, because it just makes the process that much easier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, it totally and saves you a lot of time probably. Um, but yeah, I mean, I'm kind of just rambling on about the route, <laughs> but you know, I guess the spring season, it turned into, you know, I, I, we, we resequenced the crux to make it easier. And I, I still couldn't get through the bottom section, like linking through the bottom crux is, is the hardest part of the route. Um, I think getting to the halfway point is 15 a just, wow. um, in itself. And, um, you know, we spent most of the spring just like trying to do this one hang and just trying to like make these big links, but neither of us was really about to send the route. Um, and on my last try of the season, I, I made it through the bottom crux and, um, I fell and Margot was blaming me at the time and she convinced me to lower and try again rather than doing what I would normally do, which would just be pull back on try to climb to the top and then the day's over. Um, but she convinced me to lower and rest and try the route again. And I, I broke through the bottom again and I fell on the very last move. Um, and this was like massive, massive breakthrough for me. Like I had never climbed through the bottom and now all of a sudden I'm, I was falling on the last move. Uh, but you know, when I fell on the move, it was such a fight for me at that point that my, I had actually injured myself in the process and my, my oh. right shoulder, uh, got messed up. Uh, I couldn't raise my hand like above my, above my shoulder. Basically I like couldn't raise my hand at all. Oh, uh, I drove home with one hand that day. 
but you know, I was excited. I was happy because I was like, oh, like I I just fell in the last move a bit. Like if I just recover this this injury or whatever is going on, like I'll I'll send the route. Um, and you know, it, it turned out having to be the entire summer where I was just waiting <laughs> basically to, for my sh- shoulder to heal and, and for the season to, to start up again, because, uh, the summer it's way too hot up there. Uh, you're not gonna, you're not gonna climb up there in the summer. Yeah. Yeah. And then, and then the fall season came and uh, I think it was my second day up there that I, that I did the route. Cause oh, wow. at that point I was, I was just, you know, twirling my thumbs all summer. I was just like, <laughs> just need like two days up there. You know, I was, I was, I was ready mentally. I was ready. And, and physically, I think I was just training more and trying to be more prepared than I was in the spring. Yeah. Well, that makes me very curious. I, I love to geek out on the training side of things. But before that, I do have a question from a listener. And I was also very curious about this too, because Flex is a very, it's a really unique situation with this route where, you know, like when Chris Sharma did uh, biography the in Seuss, you know, his first 15A, widely recognized as that, whatever. There's a film crew, there's a movie about it, you know, like other people can see his beta. And Tommy just goes and does this thing in 2003, you know, no recordings of it. And it's been so long since he did it that he doesn't even remember what he did. Like he doesn't really remember the state of the route when he tried it. And now the route has changed and holds have broken. So it's just an interesting situation. Like what, you know, how hard did Tommy climb back then? Like no one totally knows. And what was the route like when he did it? And no one totally knows. And there's just conjecture. So um, I'll read this question from a, from a listener. This is from Landolini. I think that's such a cool name. They write, this is really geeky and I don't want to put too much importance on the grade, but how likely does Maddie think it is that Tommy Caldwell was the first person to climb 9B or 515B? Or did the route only get this hard after holds had broken? I know it's probably hard to say, but it has the potential to rewrite sport climbing history. Yeah, um, that's the question that I've been asked the most, I think, is did Tommy climb 9B? Um, I think my short answer is just like, I don't know. And Tommy's going to be the only person to to have the the sense to say anything on that. Like, I can't speak for, for what he climbed just because there is no video. There's a few photos that I've seen. Um, I know like what and what I've told most people that ask me that is like, I've seen the route in two forms in the, in the time period that I've been climbing on it. You know, I've seen it from when I started it and when I first went up the climb to the form of the, the route that it's in now, uh, after it's been climbed. And, you know, I've seen a lot of holds come off the wall from myself and from other climbers. Um, so it's undoubtedly like set in my mind that the route has changed. Um, but you know, has it changed a lot? No, you know, I think certainly there's a few holds that are, are different and there's a few sequences that are different. Um, I, I, I think it's, I think it's kind of a fun game to like for people to ask and be curious about, you know, uh, I think that's just the nature of climbing and grades and, and, um, 
you know, it's, it's funny. Cause like when we started trying the climb, we, we would like text Tommy and we'd be like, yo, do you remember, like, did you grab this pinch with your left hand, with your right hand? Or like, do you remember what you did at the top? Blah, blah, blah. And he would always be like, man, I can't remember anything. I, I have no idea. Like never gave us any information. And then <laughs> like when, when I got like reached out to by various people after I climbed the route, you know, they were all like, man, I just talked to Tommy and he says he remembers every single move. He's going to go back out there and try it himself. What? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's just, it's kind of funny. <laughs> I'm like, oh, Tommy, you've been holding out on us, huh? Um, but I mean, I, I think Tommy climbed a 515 for hmm. sure. I think he was way too modest in his grading. And I'm sure he still is. But I think, I think the route, the way that I can see it um, and the way that I imagine the cruxes were and, and, you know, the, the same points on the route are still the cruxes. It's not like there's a new crux on, on the climb anywhere. Um, and you know, the fact that I've seen photos of him wearing tape on his hands for hand jams, I've seen him with one knee pad. I've seen him with no knee pads. I've seen him with two knee pads. I've seen photos of him in certain sections climbing it completely differently. Like I know like that he struggled just as much as I did with finding sequences and, you know, just questioning his beta constantly. And I think, I think it's silly to try to rewrite history. I don't think that's even like plausible in our sport. You know, like I think Tommy did something that was groundbreaking and probably didn't get as much credit as it deserved in the time. Um, and nothing, you know, will take away from the fact that he's done so much and, and like, you know, has his name on a route like Flex Luther that has so much history to it. Like that's the history of the route, you know, and I don't think trying to go back and, and scribble out an A and put a B there mm. changes his story or changes the story of the route at all. Um, and I, I don't think Tommy would necessarily want to, you know, to claim that he's done a 15 B now. Like, I don't think he would go around telling people he's done that because in his eyes, it wasn't 15 B when he did it, you know? So, uh, it's not like he, he gets a new badge all of a sudden. And I don't think he, he necessarily sees it that way. <laughs> you know, I think he understands his accomplishment and he understands the process that he went through to get there. And, and that's, that's, you know, what matters, I guess. It's just, uh, and, and I, to me, it's really, it's quite cool to just like, I ta I've talked to him a little bit since I sent the route and just like to hear his stories up there and just like, we really just had a, a very similar process. Uh, and, you know, 20 years apart, we were, you were, we were going through the same mental struggles and, and just like physical struggles. And, you know, it's, it's quite remarkable for me that, that he did that so long ago. And, mm. um, you know, it's, it, it truly became, it, it became more than just a climb, I guess, at that point. Like, I don't think I've ever felt as invested into a climb as I did flex. Um, I don't know why, you know, I, I just wanted, I wanted it more than I had anything else. Mm. And, um, I think he did too <laughs> at the time. Um, and yeah, I think, I think the history of the climb is really interesting to me. Like that's what got me hooked and, you know, there's something about like rediscovering the route and, and having to go through that process and, you know, like 
learn things for yourself rather than just like pausing a video every seconds and seeing where the foothold is and all that, you know, it really, it really creates a, a completely new experience. And, um, I think it's kind of, kind of cool that there's no photos or videos of this thing. And, and I mean, I guess yet <laughs> I should say <laughs> we're about to blow it up. So <laughs> Every, everyone will, I was about to ask you that. Have all data and it'll probably get downgraded to 14 <laughs> anyways after this. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, something's got to keep you humble after all. <laughs> uh, that's too funny. So you are making a film I, yeah, about so it. Yeah, my so short my short answer will be like, no, because this route will get downgraded. <laughs> <laughs> well, that was a very good answer. Yeah, thanks thanks so much for sharing your thoughts on that. I can tell you've put a lot of thought into it. And it's, um, yeah, it's, it's so, it's just so cool. Like the rediscovery, the history, the ambiguity and the conjecture around it is it creates this mythology that sets that root apart and it's it's pretty neat yeah i'd, I'd wanted to ask you how it stacks up because you gave it a personal grade of 15b and you've climbed that grade before it sounds like this one felt really different than than anything else you've done yeah i i mean i just i i like went back and forth so much like i i really want to be honest with grades and I want to try to just really consider all outcomes that, that could present themselves when it comes to grading things. And, you know, I try to think of, uh, you know, what would a shorter person do in this? What would, you know, a bolder, a bolder do in the sequence or how would they, you know, like I, I really try to like consider everything, you know, I think, um, it's easy to climb something on a really cold day when it's perfect conditions and be like, Oh, it was easy mm -hmm. or like give it an easier grade or something. But, you know, like for me, the process of that climb was so involved and it just had so many barriers that I think are similar barriers that a lot of climbers will experience if they go up there, um, learning the seasons of the climb and dealing with wet holds and, um, just, you know, I, I guarantee everyone's going to fall top once and I guarantee the, the bottom section is going to be the hardest part for everyone and people are going to climb it differently. And, you know, I, I guess I just looked at it in terms of effort put in. I think that's like the easiest way for me to, to just come up with the basis for a grade. And this route took more effort by far than the other 15 B that I had, I had climbed. And I attribute that to the location and all these other factors, but it's really when I like, when it comes down to it, it's just because the route's really hard, you know, and, mm. and it has multiple sections where you could fall, did fall pretty much everywhere that you can on the route. And, um, you know, I can just, you know, watching Carlo on the route, I, I, you know, he's, Climbs V15 and V16 and just is an incredible climber. And he had all the same difficulties and struggles that I had and Tommy had. And, um, you know, I think, I think it's just a hard route. <laughs> you know, I think, <laughs> yeah. when, I mean, when yeah. it came down to it, like I was like, man, I could call this 15.8, but that's just like, like, that's just like, what's the point? You know, like, <laughs> like, I don't know. It just felt yeah. like it felt so 
fair to give it the B grade, you know, with all the effort that I put in, I feel like it would be a disservice to myself to call it a 15. A. Yeah. That's awesome. Like, Come on, man. Like you deserve the B grade here. And, uh, I think the root does too. <laughs> does it feel like your proudest climbing achievement so far? Um, my, uh, yeah, I think, yeah. I mean, if someone asked me to list like my top three achievements, it would be in that for sure. I think, um, yeah, yeah. What else would be in that? What are some other contenders? I don't know. I mean, I think of like, it's certainly my proudest, like sport climbing achievement or like when it comes to like, just pure, like performance-based climbing, like when it comes to training and climbing a certain grade, like 100%, that's my, my top achievement. But I, 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 I always think of like expeditions that I've been on or like these more kind of adventurous projects that I've done that I'm still really proud of. And I feel like those have, um, you know, maybe they're not like the biggest achievements, but they have had just as much of an impact on me or they've, even had a, a bigger impact on me. Um, and in terms of my personal achievements, like those are what I, that's when I give my rankings, you know, it's like, what, what do I, what first comes to, to, to mind when I think of that, you know, and it's always like, you know, um, going to Japan and climbing the waterfalls or, or like put a big wall in India or something like that. Like those things I, I never really imagined I would do. And there are, these very surreal achievements for me <laughs> may be less fathomable than they were a few years ago. So, um, you know, it's, it's hard to base. And that's again, why I think climbing is so, so great is just, there's so many different ways that you can challenge yourself and, and just have completely different experiences. Do you have films of those two experiences that you just mentioned? In Japan and India, yeah, North, the North Face released films of those trips. So on their YouTube, um, I'll find them. The, the Japan film was a, my first expedition as a North Face athlete, and you know it was my first year on the team. And uh, Cedar Wright had dropped out of a trip to Japan to climb waterfalls, and I remember like getting an email and just being like, "Would you do you want to go climb waterfalls in Japan?" And I was like, "Uh." What does that mean? First yeah, of all, <laughs> I want to I want to ask you that. Yeah, what did they What did they tell you? Because I don't totally understand what you're. I mean, that's actually all they told me. They were like climb waterfalls, and my uh, immediately <laughs> I was just like, oh, ice climb. Like, do I want to go ice climbing in Japan? Right. And I was like, not really, but like, I I just joined the team. I should do these 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 things that come up. You know, I should try to say yes to these kind of opportunities, and you know, obviously once I learned more about the trip, I realized that it was actually climbing, running streams and waterfalls. Um, okay. so it, it, that trip still to this day is like one of the most insane experiences I've ever had. And is just like, like I, I have endless stories from that trip about being terrified or <laughs> almost dying or just, you know, being submerged under a massive waterfall like what? trying to place cams and <laughs> trying to like grovel up mud and moss and you know yuji hirama just like being this insane encouragement 
I don't know. Yuji was just like this. He's like a total animal and did some of the most impressive things I've ever seen on that trip. His his confidence in himself when he starts climbing is is just so uh, amazing. <laughs> you this know, is... he, he was, there was one point where he was climbing up. Uh, he was climbing up a waterfall. We were like pitch three on the waterfall, and he's completely benched really likes his head out to breathe and pulls this refrigerator size block and it just he's like completely hanging on it and the whole thing and he just looks up at me because i'm taking photos and he just starts laughing (laughs) (laughs) and it's like oh it's loose and like you know it's just like in that moment i would have just completely lost it and you know he he just kept his pool and climbing and I was just like, that was the most impressive thing I've ever seen. Like <laughs> how he kept it together. <laughs> oh my gosh. This is, uh, this is out of left field for me. I didn't expect uh, to be talking <laughs> about this and it's blowing my mind. So I just want to make sure I'm getting this straight. So you're, you're climbing a multi-pitch waterfall, trad climbing. Can you give us a sense of like, what are you wearing? What is the equipment? Are you wearing climbing shoes? Are you free climbing this? Do you have like, are you dry tooling? Yeah, so, like what, what is, so what's going on? So this form of climbing, it's called Sawanabori and that, that translates to shower climbing in English. And it's basically, it's like a very traditional, uh, I mean, it's passed down like centuries in Japan and it comes from old farmers who basically walked upstream because the forests were too dense or it was too, you know, steep of terrain to get around anywhere else. So the waterfalls were actually the easiest modes of transport. Um, and now it's kind of turned into this, this kind of offbeat sport in Japan. There's a few, uh, climbers there that do this. There's, um, there's some very impressive Japanese Sawanabori climbers who have done, you know, waterfalls solo without any ropes or, or equipment to, to protect them. And, you know, they're hundreds of feet up climbing underneath water uh, and you're wearing a wetsuit and you're wearing these like moccasin type shoes with, with carpet underneath them. So they actually stick better to the rock. Um, we would put climbing shoes on if it got too technical and we needed to like edge or something like that. But for just like smearing, it was actually like this felt texture that that was the huh. stickiest. Um, so we wore like these really, they were like, they were like little booties. Um, <laughs> you look pretty ridiculous <laughs> while you're doing it, but uh, it's, it's the, it's, it's kind of the only way. And we actually wore these gloves uh, while we were climbing as well. Cause it would give you more texture on the rock. Um, so, I mean, you're climbing five, nine, Okay. Uh, you know, sometimes we did like some five eleven climbing, but it's pretty easy climbing. It just there's a lot of mud and moss, and there's running water like hitting you in the face and and like pushing you away. <laughs> so you know, it's 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 kind of crazy, but it was really quite fun. Wow. And so we on that trip we we ended up climbing Shomyo Falls which was which is the largest waterfall in Japan. Okay. Um and this this waterfall took us 2 days to climb. We we bibbied at the top of like the first tier 
had an extremely uncomfortable night sleeping, you know, getting basically sprayed by water. You're soaking wet. <laughs> I remember waking up every 20 minutes and flipping my sleeping bag inside out and just getting the dry side and then falling back to sleep. Um, and yeah, we, that was the objective of the trip. So we kind of worked our way to climbing Shomio Falls. And at the top of that, we, uh, we finished around midday and we were in a national park because uh, in Japan, they let you climb on their national waterfall, <laughs> uh, which I don't think they do that here in the States. <laughs> um, but we were trying to rappel down quickly and get out of the park so we didn't have to sleep in so we could sleep in a bed basically and uh when we were wrapping off the top we had built an anchor uh, with two pitons and um toru and i were gonna simul wrap together and we started to repel and probably about 15 meters down like we just hear this ting oh my god and one of the pitons had blown and at that point yuji was standing on the other piton and James and Yuji were screeching, screaming to us, telling us to like get on the wall and start climbing up to them. And you know, that moment, like it's, there's a GoPro video of it, of just like the, like watching us rappel down and you can see the anchor and you can just see like one of the pitons exploding from the rock and they were in the same crack. So, you know, that, that, you know, I hope to never have it a close call like that again for sure Jeez. it definitely was a quick learning moment where i was like you know let's let's go safety over speed <laughs> for this <laughs> but yeah i mean wow. just drifted away from flex there a little bit yeah but. yeah <laughs> this is fascinating though do you yeah. w- when you like look at your climbing when you zoom out and look at your life of climbing and all these different avenues you can pursue do you feel drawn to do more adventure stuff like that? Or are you feeling drawn more in a performance direction? Or, or are you just happy that there's the opportunity to do both and many other things within climbing? Yeah, I mean, like you said, I'm I'm happy for the opportunity to do what presents itself. You know, I've had the chance to go on trips like that because of the North Face and um, and other you know, climbers that I've gotten to know basically. Um, but I, I guess I've always just really tried to take advantage of those opportunities. And I think, you know, if like a couple of years ago, uh, another person was not going to go for the team for this trip to India. And, um, it basically the, the spot on the team got passed down to me and, you know, what, I'm obviously thinking about it. Do I want to go to India and like trek into this big wall and live on this mountain and, you know, risk my life in certain situations? And like, is that what I want? And, um, I always am just like, man, if I say no to this, like, I'm going to regret it. I'm going to just as you know, it's like, I, I just feel like these opportunities I need to grasp and I need to jump on. And I, I've learned now after doing a few of them that they have, the most incredible rewards that you don't find in other disciplines of climbing, um, mm. you know, climbing, uh, uh, like putting up a, a multi-pitch wall in India is, is physically was not a challenging process for my climbing. It was exhausting in terms of hiking, <laughs> carrying loads and hauling bags, um, and navigating unknown terrain, you know, like, but it was, it was such a 
visceral moment, like standing on top of the wall and like, like leading up to the summit of this big wall and just like being on this, this kind of knife, knife edge summit and just sitting up there and being like, you know, how, how did I end up in this position? (laughs) And just, you know, it's like those, those person have shaped so much of who I am in the past few years. Like just like experiences that you gain from visiting other countries and trying to live in these different situations and getting to know other cultures. Uh, they, they really do have a a strong impact on people. (laughs) I think pretty much anyone who goes into the mountains and, you know, you feel connected to nature, obviously, but then you, you're in these small mountain towns and you really get connected to the people there too. Um, and you know, those, those, those trips and some of those moments have stuck with me much more permanently than a red point that I did a few years ago. Mm. Um, so I, I really love those kind of experiences. You know, I, I do, I do get concerned when it gets to the more dangerous trips. You know, I, I do want to be cautious and I, I want, I love my life, you know, I want to not do anything where I feel like, you know, this, the safety aspects are too out of my control. Um, so, you know, it's, it's a balance, I think, but, um, a lot of the incentive for me also to go on those trips is just like the teams that have been put together and the athletes that I'm climbing with, you know, I've learned so much from going on trips with people like UG and James Pearson and Jacopo Larker. Like these people have, have really taught me everything that I know about climbing in the mountains. Um, so, you know, if, if someone like that reaches out to me and is like, Hey, like, let's go do this big wall. Like I know, like I'm with someone that I can trust and someone that's really skilled in this terrain. And, you know, it's like, who's better to learn from than, than Jacopo, how to go climb a big wall, you know, (laughs) Mm -hmm. it's like, if you're ever going to do it, like this is the guy to do it with. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool, man. I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be watching those two North face films. That is so, (laughs) yeah. So interesting, especially the waterfall thing still blowing my mind. Um, yeah, you should Yeah, watch it. It's pretty crazy. I will. I'll, I'll watch them. I'll find them. I'll put them in the show notes for people to watch them as well. Um, I want to check a couple boxes here because I'll I'll yeah, be remiss sorry, if rambling. I no this is this is how it goes man, um, but I <laughs> you talked about building your home gym with your dad and I wanted to ask you a couple questions about your home gym and about your training. First, can you tell me about your campus board? You have one of the more unique campus boards I've ever seen. Nice, yeah, okay. Well, so my, my dad has this odd room attached off of his bedroom in his house. It's like he thinks it was like a nursery or he doesn't really know what its original intention was. But we decided it was the perfect room to build a home wall in, mostly because the ceilings are 60 degrees. So all we had to do is screw two by fours and plywood onto the ceilings. We didn't have to build a frame or anything. Um, nice. So we've converted this room into our little climbing gym just by basically putting a bunch of plywood all over the walls and keeping those angles. And, you know, I think it was just a couple months ago when we had a little extra space and we were like, let's add the campus board and the ceilings aren't tall enough to 
just be like your normal your normal campus board. So we kind of constructed this upside down staircase feature. So when you campus, instead of just going straight up, you're kind of going out from the wall a bit. Uh, and, you know, I guess your body's going to be swinging a bit more. But, I mean, it allows us to campus. It allows us to do other types of training that we weren't doing. Um, and it's fun. I, I mean, it's just fun. It's fun to, like, build little random training things. And, you know, we've, at this point, screwed on a bunch of stuff all around the, the campus setup that we have. So you can do, you know, it's not just pulling. It's You can do crosses and you can do underclings and pinches. And, I mean, I think one that you know what i love about training is just how creative you can get and, and that's what keeps me motivated on training also is just like what games can you create that day or you know like how are you gonna keep this fun so you know the the campus board has helped <laughs> <laughs> is it on the underside of an actual staircase or did you just build that feature on so a man like we built like a stair the frame of a staircase uh-huh so imagine just like a set of stairs and then flip it upside down uh-huh so you have the place where like your feet you know like the board in front of your feet is now what you would put the campus rungs on the verticals um, yeah i yeah. guess yeah the verticals and yeah i mean it's it's super logical honestly. yeah that's <laughs> <laughs> yeah, cool i actually when I, I, I there's a short clip in a video which is why i know that you built this and i had thought i had seen it on the actual stairs but um that's even <laughs> more interesting that you that you built that just to be able to do that but it, yeah it makes perfect sense when you see it i've never seen anything like that before it's cool tell me like w- given that you're given that you love that training can be so creative what are some staples for you what are some of the things that you find yourself spending the most time doing or that help you the most in your growth and development as a climber. I know you have a spray wall, uh, which just holds littering this 60 degree board. Um, yeah. I yeah. mean, I guess like, I, I don't know the best person to speak on training just cause I don't have like a specific regiment that I follow. And, um, you know, I think that that's, that's helped me in a lot of ways and it's also probably harmed me in some ways and, and, you know, um, but I think just being flexible has been something that, that I've really just ingrained into my training. You know, if I go in and, um, I feel drained of power, I do endurance that day. If I feel really snappy and strong, I'm going to focus on power. If I, if I go in and I feel terrible, I just leave. You know, I, do, I really try to just listen to my body when it comes to training. I guess a staple for me has been bouldering. I don't think any climber that really has put in so much training would would take away from the benefits that bouldering can do for someone. Um, when I When I started climbing, I was a sport climber and I went to the gym and I did sport climbs and I went to rifle and I project sport climbs and I eventually hit a barrier where I was like, I can't do anything harder unless I get stronger. Mm. And, um, that, you know, I think at that point I basically stopped sport climbing and I bouldered for a few years and just built like a base of, of power. And, and it's really been like my way of training ever since, Mm. (laughs) um, I mean, for example, like, like 
training for Flex Luther, which I would consider a pure endurance route. You know, it's like the most pumped I've ever felt. And I trained for that on a bouldering wall. Like I trained for it on our woody that built at my dad's house. And it's because you can pretty much do anything with just a spray wall. And a lot of my training was power resistance training. And I like being really efficient when I go to the gym. I like going there for an hour, an hour and a half and just hammering out my session and then leaving. I don't like dragging it out. I don't like being in the gym for three or four hours. Like I can't, I can't stand that. Hmm. <laughs> I've never really been able to do that. I, maybe more when I was younger, but now it's, I just can't, I don't have the patience for that. Um, but like, if you want to do endurance training, like I, I would always recommend just power endurance, just focus on like making sure that you can stay engaged the whole time. So for Flex Luther, I would create a boulder problem that was hard for me, but I wouldn't fall on. Maybe like B9 or B10. And I would do it 10 times in a row, like with very little rest. And that would be the meat of my training for that day. You know, wow. it would just be like this really intense power resistance training for 30 minutes. Um, and then after that, I would maybe I would do just more endurance space where I just try to hang on the wall for 10 minutes on jugs, you know, just traveling on jugs and just try to hang on my arms. Um, and, and then after that, maybe I would do some campusing or some pull-ups and sit-ups and push-ups. Um, but you know, I knew that for that climb specifically, it was going to be just pure resistance and how long I can just be in this tense position on the wall. Um, so how that kind of power endurance training was perfect for flex. Mm. Um, it was just hard boulder problems with, with little rest and just trying to, you know, keep your technique good whole process, mm. you know, cause I think, uh, one, one thing for me when it, when it came to trying flex was it's such an intricate route and there's so many small things that you have to remember, like, placing your foot a couple inches to the left or the right on something could be like make or break for you. Um, so, you know, I would create a boulder that was kind of intricate, I guess, and I would have to climb it. I would have to climb it like exactly how I intended to climb it. And, um, you know, it's on that kind of precision style of climbing. Um, but yeah, I mean, when it comes down to your questions, I, I feel like bouldering, you know, what you can get out of a small bouldering wall is, is all you need. Mm. <laughs> and I, I really believe that. I want to double click on that and zoom into a couple, <laughs> a couple finer details. When you say short rest, um, well, I guess maybe one question would be how many moves roughly is this boulder problem? And then I, when you say short rest, are you just like, you know, hitting the finish hold, dropping off, chalking up, immediately pulling back on? Yeah. I mean, I, I, the way that I did it actually was my dad would also make up a boulder prom and he would do it. So then we would alternate, like he okay. would go. And as soon as he came down, I would go, if he wasn't there, I would, you know, I would just come down for a minute. I would just make sure like my fingers feel a little loose. I feel like ready to go. I wasn't like rested, but I just felt like ready to pull on again. Um, but again, like I didn't have a timer. I didn't, I just made sure, okay, I'm going to do this 10 times and it should take me 25 minutes or something like that, you know? 
and you know you know your pacing you can judge these things on your own like i i really just find that that was a great way for me to push myself while i was training because i set a goal of doing it 10 times i set a goal of trying to do it quickly and um that was my motivation for that session you know was just trying to accomplish this little this little activity that i'd created basically and you know on some days that I was more tired, I'd make up a 15 move boulder problem. You know, that was easier. Or uh, some days I would make up a five move boulder problem that was, you know, my feet would cut and it would require a lot more power, basically. Um, so it really just varied a lot on the day. Um, but but you yeah, would, you, mean, but you would use both of those example problems with this 10 rounds format. Yeah. Yeah. Gotcha. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's cool. um, I mean, that's something that I've always, I think I've always done with my training is like if I, when I was younger, like if I went to a gym, I would try to like climb everything in the bouldering area, not necessarily send everything, but I would try everything a couple of times without resting a lot. And I would just move on to the next problem or I would start my session with, you know, two or three boulder problems that were projects where I was trying one move on them and falling, uh, you know, they were very power specific moves. Um, I would focus on that. And then for the second half of my session, I would pretty much always just try to go and do all the V eights and under without rest, you know, and that's how I would end my session, just like trying to top off whatever I had done. And then, I, you know, I never was regimented with campusing or, or these other types of like weights or, or that stuff. You know, I'm not saying that people shouldn't do that. That's just not what I did. Um, I, I did, I do often like end a session by just hanging on a small crimp on a hangboard for as long as I can, you know, just like do that a couple of times and just, you know, I just like to feel like I topped off, uh, in, in different sections uh, of what I want to improve on, you know, like if, you know, I'd like to, I, I like to do a little bit of everything in my sessions too. Like I like to like fall on one move and, and work something that's very bouldering specific. And then I like to do like these power endurance stuff. And then, you know, I do like to, to do other types of exercises just to feel tired. Like I like feeling tired, you know, <laughs> um, but I, I like to, to, move quickly, I guess, through my training. And I've found that some, you know, like I've found that if I go on these climbing trips, like oftentimes if I go on a sport climbing trip, I climb six, seven days in a row. Oh um, wow. But that's because I'm only climbing, you know, I do a warm up and then I try a project twice or something, you know, or I try it once. And it's like very small amount of climbing that I do in the day, but I do it every day, you mm-hmm. know, and I guess I kind of do that with my training is I train, you know, six days a week probably, but sometimes it's only for 45 minutes. Sometimes it's for two hours. Um, you know, it's, it's, I just like to, I don't know. I've, I've felt better a few days in climbing usually like, I don't know what it is, but like if I take two or three days off, like my first day back climbing, I'm, I'm just terrible. Like Mm. I feel terrible. I feel like I just start, you know, I just know I need like an activation day before I can like 
you know? So like oftentimes before a competition or something, I'll rest two days and then the day before I'll go to the gym and I'll move around a little bit, you know, and I'll wait, I'll just like wake up and then plan on the next day feeling good Yeah, (laughs) or hoping at least. Yeah. Activation day. I like that. I had a, I had a listener question. This is from Adriel. Adriel asks, does Maddie use bouldering to train for sport climbing? And if so, what are some general tips to think about? And we've of course been talking about that. Um, I'm just curious, specifically, let's take flex as the example here. If you're training six days a week, um, do all those sessions more or less, do you hit on the same things? Are you always working on that kind of power endurance stuff? Or do you mix in days that are just project hard bouldering? Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I like kind of just to reiterate like i try to mix in everything i know that like i have to have a certain base level to to do what i want to do and with flex i knew like the base level endurance that i had was gonna have to raise you know i knew like number one thing that i had to do was just like be able to hang on the wall for 20 minutes Mm -hmm. you know and like do hard moves for 20 minutes because that's what the route was you know and i also knew that there's like a like I would say the crux is V12 probably, um, just like a two move sequence is probably a V12 sequence. So I knew I had to have a base level of V12 mm. at least, right? Probably a little higher because I would be tired when I'd climb that. Um, so I kind of set these standards, um, and I you know once I felt like my power was in a good place, um, I. I feel like I probably shifted a bit and just tried to maintain the level of power that I was at rather than trying to focus more on that. And I instead put my time mostly into just endurance. So I knew like going into this fall season of flex, I knew it was going to come down to, am I pumped enough to stick that last move or am I going to fall there, you know, however many more times. Um, But I had, I guess, worked out, what I needed, the qualifications that I needed. And I went from there, but I mean, to answer their question, like, yes, 100%, like train bouldering for sport climbing. And the way that you do that is just take shorter rests in between bouldering, Mm. um, and, and do boulder problems that you can do. Like I, I find that like climbing something over and over again, you really learn how to climb well when you're tired. Mm. Um, because you've done it and you've kind of ingrained these motions into your body. And, um, for me, like I would come up with a V10 and and it would start off being hard, you know, because I would learn the boulder in like the first, maybe two tries I'm, I'm, you know, still powering my way through it. And then the next three tries, I have it more dialed and it becomes easier all of a sudden. And then the next five tries I'm tired that's when I'm pushing myself and I'm also trying to use what I know from the last few tries and climb it as best I can, you know, and obviously a spray wall is the best option for that. It's more tricky to do that in your public climbing gym, just because of the boulders that are set there. Um, you know, I can, it's, it's nice to be able to create your own stuff. I think that that's like the beauty of a spray wall is like, for instance, flex Luther had a lot of pinches on it. So I focused on, adding at least one pinch for each hand in all these problems, you mm. know, cause I knew like that was, that wasn't going to hurt. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, so I, I really did shape my training 
specifically for flex, which I have and haven't done in the past, but I, I think this was the time where I really, you know, got down to the nitty gritty a little more and, um, just, you know, I, I realized that I was going to have to make certain changes in my training and my lifestyle that were necessary to climb this route, you know? Um, so, so yeah, I mean, I, I 100% can train sport climbing for, with bouldering 100%. Yeah. I actually think going to a gym and sport climbing is the biggest waste of your time. <laughs> yeah. Interesting. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Like I see people go to the gym and they do their warm up route and they, they do three or four pitches and they've been in the gym for three hours, you know, just cause like the process of going to a gym, tying in, walking back to the bleachers, putting your shoes on, going back to the route, waiting for someone to get off the route. Then you talk to your friend who's next to you and then you climb something and, you know, I, I just find the challenges also of climbing a sport climb inside are so different than outdoors. Like most, most sport climbing inside they don't, the root setters don't include resting positions. Like right. that's not really a thing. So it, in a sense, you are just doing power endurance. Like you don't see anyone camping out for a few minutes in a gym and resting that just doesn't exist. And I guarantee every climb outdoors has a rest somewhere, you know, where you're hanging for a couple minutes or something, you know, mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, like just like the length of time that you're on the wall indoors to outdoors is so different. Um, that, you know, I, I find, I, I just find like it, it's not efficient to, to sport climb indoors for me anymore. Like I, I enjoy it. I think it's fun. I, I do do it, but if I'm trying to get stronger, I, I will boulder. Mm -hmm. I liked your, uh, that's true. I mean, it's, you can just do more moves in, in a smaller amount of time. Like you're doing so much more. You're not relying on a partner or you're not having to sit and belay for 15 minutes, you know, like a 15 minute rest inside is, is ridiculous. <laughs> <laughs> like you're there to train, like get back on the wall, you know? Nice. Yeah. I like your exercise of, uh, you, you said you would do this after those repeats. You would just hang around on jugs for 10 minutes on the wall. And I, I really like that because that is the part of sport climbing that always feels so different if you've been on a bouldering trip for a while or like you said, if you've been climbing in the gym. Yeah, I mean, sport climbing is is strategy-based. Like it's such a it's such a puzzle. And I think that's one reason why I like it so much is like, you, there's so many moving parts to sport climbing that, that you have to think about and you have to execute at certain moments. Uh, that's so intriguing to me. And I, I just like, I love that type of challenge where you're kind of like, you're really in it for a period of time, you know, and like, uh, some sport climbs, you know, I would say you're on it from eight to 15 minutes average or something, or maybe not quite that long, but uh, you know, like you're in it and you're in this world and you're just fully engulfed and you're fighting and you're, you're trying to find your way out of these situations that you, that you've found yourself in, you know, like you get your hands crossed up or, you know, you're more sweaty all of a sudden and you need to chalk up somewhere new or, um, you fumble a clip. Like there's just so much going on that you have to think on your feet and you have to just really be, aware about that I, I just find so interesting and 
like that's the biggest piece of advice that I could think of for any sport climber is just like, do you have a strategy before you're getting off the ground? And like, are you prepared to rest at a certain point? Do you know what hold you're clipping off of? Do you know where you chalk? Um, do you know where you need to turn it on and, and go into bouldering mode? And do you know how to turn it off and just relax and catch your breath and your heart rate? Um, and you know, like if you watch the best sport climbers, like they all know how to rest in any position, you know, and they also know how to turn it on, <laughs> you know, and they also climb fast because they have rehearsed what they're doing a thousand times in their head. Mm. You know, they know exactly what to do. They could climb it blindfolded, you know? Um, and I, I find it's like it, to me, it's like the pinnacle of, of climbing and just a performance based climbing is just like, watching uh, someone do a hard sport climbing is so, I don't know. I, it's just so involved that I love it. <laughs> mm, man, getting me fired up. That's awesome. That's awesome. <laughs> I wanted to ask you this. What do you think is possible for you? Are you a goal setter? Do you have a goal written down on your chalkboard or anything like that? Do you think about that? Um, no, I don't think about that. <laughs> I like to, I mean, I like to challenge myself. I've always liked to, to push myself. And I think that's like, you know, I'm competitive person. I think any climber is competitive to a sense, you know, I think that's like part of the driving force of what we do. And, um, I like, I like to be fired up by these types of challenges. Like I if I find another route like flex, that's 15 C, like I'm, I'm open to trying that, you know, and I, I would love to invest a lot of time and see what I can do because, you know, like, like you got to be uncertain about the goals that you set for yourself. Um, you have to have doubt. Otherwise I don't think that they're goals really. Mm. Um, so, you know, I'm always open to, to a new challenge. You know, I think one thing that has probably helped with my climbing over the years is just always trying things that are way too hard for me, <laughs> you know, and, and part of that is being surrounded by climbers that are stronger. Um, you know, if I go bouldering with, with like Sean, Daniel, like I'm surely going to be doing hard, harder moves than I can do, you know, like just like it's just the nature of climbing with those guys. Um, but I'm still going to try and like, you never know if you're going to surprise yourself or if you are going to have just like epiphany that like, Oh, I, I, maybe I'm a little stronger than I thought, or maybe I'm more capable than I thought. Um, so, you know, I, I would like to set my goals high. I'd like to not think that my strongest days are behind me and I to, think that you know my best films and photos have yet to be made yeah um so you know i don't know i don't know it's a lot of a lot of the challenges that i've that i've kind of invested into have kind of fallen not fallen into my lap but they've presented themselves to me mm. uh, naturally and you know i guess i'm just gonna assume that the next one will show up <laughs> you know <laughs> This is a question from Ben. Ben wanted to know, do you have any bouldering or trad climbing goals? Do you have any aspirations in those other areas? Or same thing, you just want to let them show up as they as they will? 
Yeah, I mean, I definitely have uh, goals in all realms of my climbing. Uh, I definitely have more goals in my trad climbing life than my bouldering life, I'd like to think, just uh, because I've done such few trad climbs and, you know, I'm really not a good trad climber. I don't consider myself a trad climber. So I would love to... I would love to climb out cap. I would love to do some hard trad pitches in the flat irons. Um, I would love to just, you know, kind of dive into that world and see, you know, how I handle it. <laughs> you know, I think it's really exciting and new. And I guess I, I know it's right there in front of me and I just have to kind of approach it and commit to it a little more. Um, but I mean, that's, that's especially how I feel about, climbing in Yosemite and, uh, climbing on El Cap is just, um, like, I know I want to do it and I know it's my future. I just, I just don't know when, you know, I'd love, maybe it's next year. Um, you know, maybe it just takes like one person to be looking for a partner and they happen to call me. Um, you know, like that could be the beginning of the next 10 years of my climbing in El Cap (laughs) or something like that. Um, cool. But yeah, I mean, I definitely have, have goals in those realms and, um, bouldering for me. Uh, I love bouldering. I I think it's like just the most free and fun style of climbing. And, um, I don't, I don't see myself ever, I guess, having a project in bouldering like I have found in these other areas. I don't, I don't see myself getting as invested in a boulder as I did flex. Like I just don't think that, the the reward is the same for me um and you know it's different for everyone but i i find the challenges of sport climbing and and big wall climbing and drag climbing to just i don't know they they really excite me more um you know, i i feel like with bouldering i can i don't know there's only so much i could i can gain you know from it and if I went and did a V16 uh, or a V15, I know that I'm not going to, you know, I just know it's not going to be as monumental for me as, as doing a hard sport climb or a hard, like a big wall climb. Like I just, I've had those experiences. I've, I've climbed a V15 and gotten to the top of the boulder. I mean, like, that was cool. Like, <laughs> like that was fun. Like yeah. I'm surprised I did it. Like I feel strong and confident now, but like, show me where the big rock is. <laughs> Let me go apply it there. You know? Yeah. I think, Bo- I think in Boone's, in Boone's podcast that you did with him, he calls bouldering practice climbing, <laughs> which I thought that was, that was kind of funny. <laughs> He's like, yeah, we used to just go practice climbing and then we'd go climbing after that. <laughs> but I mean, the sense like, that I think that's kind of a, that puts down bouldering more than it deserves, but mm. I do see it. I do see it that way in, in some, in some totally. areas. Yeah. Know? Well, that's the amazing thing about this sport of rock climbing. You can just listen to whatever things resonate with you and those motivations right. and you've got lifetimes. Don't get me wrong. Of... I love, like, I would love to be in Waco right now. <laughs> <laughs> I would have a blast. Yeah. Yeah. Nice. Well, I want to respect your time. I know we're coming up on time here, but I want to ask a little bit about your photography and filmmaking because we we did touch on that and I had some questions there. And um, I got a question from a listener about this. This is from One Rocky Boy. 
<laughs> they ask, how do you balance your filmmaking or photography with your climbing? And are there times when you're filming on a trip that you wish you were climbing? And I, I think that's a really interesting question because it's funny to me, you called yourself a beginner or you said something along those lines earlier in this conversation that you feel like you're totally new at it, but man, you're really good at it, Maddie. And, and I can't think of many people who have the um, the artistic eye and the resume, frankly, that you already have with photography and film who climb at such a high level. I mean, you're, you're kind of almost one of a kind. John Glassberg comes to mind with, with Louder Than Eleven, obviously, but not very many of you guys that climb so hard and still capture these incredible moments and I've loved many of your films, all, all the films of yours that I've seen. I think they're really well done. Thank so, thanks. I appreciate that. Yeah, I, I, I feel like I guess I said I was still a big beginner just because, in terms of growth, like I feel like I have so much room to just grow, and there's still like an immense amount of things I need to learn when it comes to both photography and filmmaking. Um, I think especially in filmmaking. Um, like I see an endless pool of challenges in front of me when it comes to filmmaking. Like I could see myself just, you know, I mean, every time I make a film, I, I, first of all, I hate it and I want to make a better film. <laughs> so, you know, like that to me is a sign that I just like, I just need to keep trying and keep growing and keep like kind of learning my methods of filmmaking. Um, but I mean, when it comes to balance, like it's, it's been certainly like a, a huge challenge to, to juggle both climbing and holding a camera. And, um, it's also been like the biggest reward for me in terms of, of just my career path and my life as this outdoor person and athlete. And also, um, you know, like the, just like the means of what it takes to be a, a pro climber these days is content, right? Like the, the amount of influence an accomplishment has, if it has content attached to it versus whether, you know, it's just like a, some text that you read about it is, is monumental, right? Like it's, mm. I think it's like, it's insane to me how someone can go do something and, like tweet about it and no one cares <laughs> and then if you have like a photo or if you have like a short video like i don't know it's just it's a completely different public announcement kind mm -hmm. of mm -hmm. um and i certainly have gained a lot from being someone who can be out in the mountains for long periods of time and also be taking photos and you know i think it originated from me just wanting to you know, capture a sense. Like I was going out with these incredible athletes and they were doing these things that were, that were amazing. And I just, I think that's where it started was just like, let's get a camera to document what's happening. And then I think it kind of evolved into a more artistic sense of like, let's try to take the best photo that we can take now, or let's try to like create a little story or make, you know, make a little video about this. And, um, as that's evolved, it's, it's become more and more of a challenge for me. Um, I've gone on a few trips in the last few years where I played both like a filmmaker and a climber role and one always prioritized the other. Like mm. as much as I, I didn't want that to happen, 
it really always just did. And I guess it always ended up being like I was more on the camera side of things because there's other climbers there, right? Doing that thing, you know, but if I put the camera down, there wasn't always going to be someone there to pick it up. So I think when I have tried to balance those on, on bigger projects or, or specific climbing trips, like I've failed. And that's one thing that I'm learning to manage and I'm learning to, to realize that like, if I want to climb as hard as I want and climb as much as I want, I need to commit to that. Mm. And, you know, I, I know that I can always bring a camera in my bag, which I do. And I, I know I can take pictures, but if I want to get the picture that I'm really proud of and, you know, or make the film that has all the shots I want in it, like I'm going to be, you know, from start to finish, I have to be on the camera and I have to be like rigging ropes and be waiting up there on a line for the shot to come. And, you know, I've just realized that, that I guess for me to be completely happy, I have to pick one or the other. And for instance, with flex, um, you know, I really wanted to, to make a film about the story of just like Margo and I trekking up there by ourselves in the dead of winter. And like, as much as I wanted to be like this, I was like, this would be a great film. You know, if someone <laughs> could direct this, you know, as, <laughs> like as much as I wanted to just be that person and be like, all right, like, let's make this film. It's like a cool story. There's history, blah, blah, blah. I was like, if I do that, I'm not going to be able to do the route. Mm. And right now, like my priority is climbing the route. And, you know, I think that was, you know, obviously we didn't get the footage from every day that I was up there. We didn't get a lot of footage because I was focused on the route and Margo was the only person up there with me and that was priority. But, you know, I did the route and I'm extremely happy and proud of that. And, you know, now we're trying to work in a film into flex and, you know, we have a bunch of footage, we have the send footage. Um, so now it's kind of like, okay, how can we reconstruct this story in, you know, in a few days, <laughs> basically. <laughs> um, mm. But, you know, I think, I think that the, this challenge of balance is hard, you know, especially, I remember like when I was trying biography in Seyus, uh, I was there with Margo and Daniel and I wanted to be at the crux of the route to film either of them if they broke through. And that crux is at like 35 meters up the route. And, you know, I would jug up the line. I would sit up there with my camera and then I would try to like give a red point try. And I was always like exhausted from just sitting in a harness or jugging this line every day that it really became like a challenge for me to climb the route, you know? And, um, at that point I was invested into the film with Margo. So I was like, okay, I have to get the shot. I have to get the shot. But I also was like, man, like I, I'm an athlete too. Like I need to, <laughs> I need to tick some roots myself, you know? Um, mm -hmm. so you know, I eventually learned like, okay, I give my red point try earlier in the day and then I'm committed to shooting after that, you know, and then like we kind of came to an agreement where I would climb first, <laughs> Okay, you know, which, which was nice. I mean, that wasn't always the case, but it was just like trying to work in a way to, to climb and shoot was definitely challenging. And, you know, I think, I think it's, you know, I've, I've learned that like, photography for me and, and film for me has been like such a, 
like a gift for me in my climbing. Like, I don't think I would certainly be uh, where I am if I didn't have like this other side or like this other kind of outlet to where my sponsors or brands can back, you know, where they can get behind. So it's certainly helped, like, like it certainly helped me as a pro climber and just my path that I'm going. Um, and you know, I, I, I've found that I just have to, to balance things as best I can. And it's turning into more of a, okay, this month is going to be film month <laughs> and next month is going to be training and, and red pointing, mm. you know, and, and, you know, I just, I just do my best, <laughs> but I mean, the, those challenges are, are good challenges to have <laughs> for me. And, you know, if there's anyone that's like looking to get into photography or filmmaking and they are climbers or vice versa, they're photographers and they're looking to get into climbers, like do not shy away from one or the other um, mm. because it just seems overwhelming. Like some of the best photos I've ever taken have been like when you know, I just happened to bring my camera and it was the first, you know, I didn't even have my camera out until that moment presented itself. And I just happened to have my camera there, mm -hmm. you know? So I think you don't have to go into each day. Like I have to take the best photo or I have to send my project. It's more just like be ready for either one. If it, if it presents itself. I wanted to ask you if you had any photos or films you were proudest of and that ties right into what you just said. And I want to ask you, what are some of those, those photos that just kind of happened that you weren't expecting to capture the ones that really stand out for you that you're proud of? Yeah. I mean, um, there's a lot of photos that I'm proud of. Uh, there's a few films <laughs> that I'm proud of, or maybe sections of a few films that I'm proud of. Um, I, I think, you know, in terms of photography, Obviously, like the photo of Margot is the one that like probably most people think of is uh, just how that photo kind of speaks a thousand words, mm, you know, mm. um, which most climbing photography is is based on like the crux or like the shape of the rock or something like that um, or the light. So it's more of like an artistic sense. And I think the photo of Margot was this very emotional, raw image that I had never, I had never shot or taken a photo like that before. Mm. Um, and obviously just the, the reception that it got was crazy. And it, I think that opened my eyes to like what, what power images can have, um, wow. and the influence that they can have. So obviously that one. And then there's a handful of climbing images that, you know, I happen to be up there and the light just hit perfectly or, you know, certain expressions or just, you know, some photos that I just worked really hard to get there, you know, and I got the shot, even though it was a really easy photo to take, I just got in, I just got there, you know? Mm. And, uh, so some of those photos definitely speak to me a lot. Um, and, uh, yeah, I think just when it comes to my films, um, it's just so hard, man. Like filmmaking is so hard. <laughs> I, and I, I, I can only like imagine. I, like photography is, I don't know. It's like, I can go out and I can take a photo in a couple hours and be done. You know, a film, it's like, it's going to take months and 
I'm going to be beating my head against the screen and I'm probably going to, you know, just have a million different challenges along the way. And so I, I always, there are films that I'm proud of and I'm proud of how they turned out. And, um, but I just feel like I have so much to learn and, and there's still like so much that I want to do. Like I have a ton of ideas that are just kind of building up, but I just, you know, don't know quite how to execute them or, you know, I'm not ready to like try to execute them yet because <laughs> I just don't think I'm ready or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think <laughs> a lot of my excitement definitely is in video still just because I, I see so many challenges there. So cool. I want to fill in a little context. So that Margot photo, it's funny because as you were talking about it or before you answered the question, um, that was the photo that that was in my mind. Um, it's just become so iconic. And for people listening, it was Margot. She'd just come down from sending La Rambla 515A and she's hugging herself. She's still, maybe she's still tied in. I can't remember, but she's hugging herself. She's got chalk everywhere, like covering her face. And she's just like, just crying, just bursting with this emotion and you're so right like you can feel this just this out of focus too (laughs) oh really (laughs) (laughs) i've never noticed but um yeah she's clearly so happy she's in disbelief she's she's just overwhelmed with a flood of emotion and it's just bursting out of her and you really feel that seeing that image so yeah incredible that that was that was a pretty wild moment for sure i was belaying her actually oh really like as I was lowering her, I was like going through my bag. I was like, get the camera, get the camera. And I, I, re- I only took like three photos because if I look through that series, there's three, three or so photos that are of that shot basically. And then um, I put the camera down right after that because, <laughs> you know, you gotta, you gotta give people their personal space. <laughs> yeah, as yeah. much as you can, even though sometimes you just can't get the camera out of their face, but. Hmm. Um, yeah. well, let's wrap up with this. What is, what is next for you either with film, you know, projects you're working on or climbing both? What's next? What are you excited about? I'm excited about everything. I mean, I think like, you know, I, I'm, I'm hoping to get a little more traveling in next year, uh, despite everything going on, but I would like to, you know, do some international climbing trips and just, get back in the groove of, of being a climber again. And, um, you know, I feel like I invested so much time into flex that it's kind of nice to just go on different trips and have a bunch of different goals rather than one very specific goal. And, you know, I've been working on a handful of films recently, uh, that are everything from profiles on climbers to more commercially artistic pieces. So, you know, I'm excited about that and the direction that that things are heading in that world um but i mean i don't don't try to look too far into the future honestly i feel like i'm a fairly present person and you know at the most i look a day or two ahead (laughs) which is probably why it was so hard to schedule this podcast (laughs) um but i don't know i i i feel like there's a lot you can gang just in every day and Mm. you know especially in these times i i feel like it's just important to you know right now it's christmas and i'm gonna go spend time with my family and just reconnect with loved ones and 
you know, just enjoy the holidays. And then after that, we'll see, we'll see if we can go and climb or what, what presents itself. But, you know, I just want to be present and be, you know, grateful for this life and mm. try to respect people around me. Cause I think we need a little bit more of that. Mm. Mm. Well, thanks, man. That's a powerful note to leave people with. And I'm really glad we finally got to do this. It was well worth the wait. And I was I was so happy to see that you had sent because I was happy that you sent. But also I was like, yes, I get to talk to Maddie now. Yeah. Yeah. And then the, the, yeah, the gratification was delayed, but, but well worth the wait. This is really fun. Thanks. Well, thanks for having me on. And I like uh, keep up the good work here. Thank you. Thank you. I'll, be, I'll still I'll keep listening. Awesome. Means a lot to have you listening. Means a lot to have all you guys listening as well. Thanks to everyone who submitted questions. I didn't get to all of them. I got all of your questions, patrons, but I didn't get to all of them. And um, we didn't get to talk about piano. I wanted to ask you some questions about a bouldering trip that yeah, you we, went on. We could do an episode too, man. I feel like we could talk for a while. Yeah, long, I, long I feel time. that way too. We'll have to do this again. <laughs> I think we have a lot more to talk, to talk about. But uh, for now... Merry Christmas. It's Christmas Eve and I've taken a lot of your time. So I think I'll let you go enjoy the festivities. But Maddie, thanks, thanks man. Thanks so and much you again. Enjoy your time in Bishop. All right. Thank you. I will. All right. Cheers. See ya. Hey, friends, before you go, don't forget to check out Chalk Cartel. Head over to chalkcartel.com and use code NUGGET for 20% off your next purchase of excellent climbing chalk. I actually use this stuff. I'm in Waco right now, and we've had some warm days here, and I'm stoked to have Chalk Cartel in my chalk bag. Again, that's chalkcartel.com. Use code NUGGET at checkout for 20% off. And also be sure to check out PhysiVantage. I take their supercharged collagen every day to support my tendons and ligaments in my fingers, and I think it helps. PhysiVantage sources the highest quality ingredients for all of their products, so you can't go wrong. And if you use code NUGGET15 at checkout, you'll save 15% off your next order. And that's it, my friends. Thank you for listening. And I want to send you off with a little something different today. This is a piano piece by Chopin, one of his nocturnes for your listening pleasure, performed by none other than Maddie Hong himself. Enjoy, my friends. Have a great day. And we will see you next time.